Have you ever, uh, have you ever had one of those experiences where you said, uh-oh? Have you ever had one of those? Um, you know, I, I just, as, as, as your pastor, I just feel like it's really good for me to share those with you sometimes when those happen to me. Um, yesterday, um, had a wedding. Um, the third and final Lubaka daughter uh, got married yesterday, and, and everything was set. The, the groomsmen are in place. Uh, the, the, the bridesmaids, you know, they, they're all in place. The, the focus is turning toward the, the back door, and, and the doors are going to open up any second, and, and it's going to be Katie and, and her dad, Ray, standing there at the back of the church, ready to come down the aisle, okay? This is as serious a moment as there is, okay, in, in ministry. You guys know that, that what we do here, I, I'm not a formal guy, okay? I realize I still have my name tag on, but I'm not a formal guy, um, but I do have a pretty sweet lead missions uh, shirt on today. Did you notice that? Huh? We're leaving for Africa Wednesday morning, 2 a.m., baby. You better, you better be praying for me because I could get lost over there real easy. So, so I am standing there at the front, and, and it's the, the, St. It's Paul's, and it's a beautiful, old stained glass. It is, it is elegant, everything that I'm not, okay? And I am standing there, and all the attention is on those back doors, and I'm standing there, and I've got my iPad, and I got my new suit for, for Africa, you know? And, and I, I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm ready, and it hits me. I don't have my microphone on. Not on, like, turned on. I don't have it at all. The bride's going to walk in. I'm like, wait, I'm thinking, okay, where is it? It's, I know it's probably in the office. The lady has it in the office. And I'm thinking, where's the nearest steps? And I'm thinking, there is no way I am getting off this platform while the bride is ready to walk in that door. And I'll tell, I just took a big gulp, and I said, <laughs> I said Lord, I got to talk loud today, okay? And, uh, and so I just belted it out, and uh, nobody came up to me and said, hey, how come, you know, I couldn't hear you? So it must have been okay, so I'm really glad uh, that that went all right. And thank, I thank the Lord for a good sound guy. Will, thank you very much. He made sure my battery pack was all ready and everything. Thank you. Well, uh, now you can set the go time. That, that three minutes there, that was, that was just free, okay? That didn't cost anybody anything. Um, we're on this series called Basics. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, for today. I believe that God has something for us. Uh, but the basics are incredibly important in every area of our personal development. Mastery of the basics is essential to that development in our lives. And the order in which we master them is important. Okay? I want you to get that today. Uh, on Father's Day last week, uh, and and I, some of you have said that you really enjoyed uh, hearing my dad. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to say that we posted that to Facebook, 
And uh, if you have friends or family that you would like to have see that interview with my dad and, and uh, Benjamin, please go on there and go to the church's uh, uh, Facebook page and tag your friends or, or put their name in the comment section and they will, that will come to them, okay? They will see that in their notifications. But on Father's Day... Um, you know, the, the day's kind of winding down, and we said, hey, what, what should we really do? And I wanted to just, you know, uh, just do something as a family, and so uh, we decided we would watch a movie, and so we, we went, I mean, we worked hard to pick a movie, okay? And so uh, we came up with a musical, um, and so we're watching this movie, and as we're watching this movie, um, the, the family that it was portraying had a young daughter, and her, uh, her dream in life was to have ballet slippers. And at some point in the movie, she gets ballet slippers, and instantly, after getting her ballet slippers, they show her in the ballet class on point, okay? Now, I did not take ballet classes, I paid for ballet, well, for, for dance classes, okay? And, and Becca, who's here today, she, man, she took dance classes for years. And there's, when we were watching this movie and we saw this, this little girl get her slippers and immediately she was on point, we scoffed at the movie. And we're like, they don't know what they're talking about because you don't get ballet slippers one day and go on point the next. That's a process of years of study and years of training. And we knew that immediately. You just don't jump in on day one. In his article uh, entitled, How Important Are the Basics? Sales guru Steve Cloyda tells this story. He said it was the early 80s, and he was into karate. And he typically went to class three times a week. And he said each week it was the same thing over and over again. And it really started to bother him. And so after about a year had gone by and he's taken these classes and he's paying for these classes, he really got sort of, sort of fed up and he, he really wanted to, to, to really, you know, meet with the, the guy that was teaching. So he, after one of the classes, he says to the guy that is teaching the class, he said, hey, when are we going to get to the good stuff? How many of you here want to get to the good stuff? Anybody? There are like six people want to get to the good stuff. Thank you. That, that's, amen. We're done for the day. Okay. I, the good stuff. I want to get to the good stuff. This guy wanted to get to the good stuff. Now, uh, sometimes when, when you know, we, we parent people and they try something once and they think it's time for me to move on to the good stuff, right? Well, this guy, he'd been, he'd been showing up for class for a year. And when are we going to get to the good stuff? The teacher, very quietly, I just, I, I envision, I'm making this up in my mind. I envision, you know, it's, it, it's an Asian gentleman, you know, that's just very mild and very meek. And he said, well, you know, we can get to the good stuff, but we can't get there until you master the basics and the fundamentals. And from what I can tell, you've got a long way to go. Fundamentals, basics, it's really important 
for us. In education, they use the term scope and sequence to describe an overview of the skills and the content covered in the curriculum at each class level over a period of time. That, that's the scope. And then there's the particular order, which is called the sequence. And so whether it's reading, whether it's writing, whether it's geography or math, there are certain skills that must be mastered first and then built upon sequentially in order to assure proper learning. Now, we've probably all heard the phrase, you've got to crawl before you can walk. And that phrase means that we need to learn the basics first. Those basics are foundational for our development. And let me tell you something. A baby does not start with crawling. You know, I want to say, you know, you got you to walk before you can run. Well, you just got to keep backing the train up. You got to crawl before you can walk. But what do you do before you crawl? You, you roll, it starts with rolling over. And you would think, wait a second. I'm, I'm spending every, I'm three times a week learning how to roll over. Eventually, I want to get to running. And what do you do? You say, I'm, man, I'm, I'm upset. I, this is no fun. I'm just learning how to roll over. But you got to ro- learn to roll over before you can get on your hands and knees. What, are they, what does a baby do once they get on their hands and knees? They just get on their hands and knees. And then they rock, okay? They get that big old diaper butt, you know what I... And they just... <laughs> And they, they don't even have control of their muscles and they're just, they're just bouncing all over and they're smiling and they're, they're having a great time. Why? I'm getting to the good stuff. Because compared to crawling, this is good. And so then they get, they get, they get that and they, they get that mastered. And then what do they do? They start scooting. And some of them scoot forward, some of them scoot backward. Some of them, they get right down on their belly and they just kick their legs and that starts moving them forward and they realize, hey, I'm moving. This is good stuff. I don't want to go back to that. I want to I keep going. And so then pretty soon, then they realize, hey, if I'm up on my hands and knees, now I, I've got a little bit more speed. I've got a little bit more momentum. So then they get to actually crawling. It's a whole process, but it has to start with rolling over. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right. We cannot simply skip or ignore the earlier things that must be mastered. And in this Christian life, there are basic fundamentals which simply cannot be overstated. Without them, We will never begin to walk or to run or get to the good stuff. And I don't know about you, but I want to get to the good stuff. That's what I want to be about in my life. I want to get to that good stuff. I don't want to be stuck on the basics my whole life. I want to master the basics and get to the good stuff. Jesus' invitation, and I think this is interesting, Jesus' invitation 
to the disciples as he encountered them one at a time or two at a time? What did he say to them? What statement did he make? It wasn't a question. It was simply this, follow me. He didn't tell them the first time he met them, hey, Matt, I want you to be a fisher of men. He didn't didn't say that. He said, follow me. He didn't tell them, hey, you know what? You're going you're gonna to wind up dying for your faith in me. How do you think they would have responded to that? Terrible. He said, follow me. That's it. That is the essence right there. That is the most basic and fundamental thing that we can possibly imagine. Psalm 63, 8. David says this, my soul, this is the King James now, so forgive me for the these and the thous and the ETHs on the end. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. That phrase, my soul follows hard, it literally implies leaning forward so far that if it were not for the hand of God upholding us, that we would fall flat on our face. That's what David means. My soul follows. In other words, I'm moving so far forward and I'm I'm leaning into it so much that if your hand isn't there, I'll actually fall down. Psalm 63, 1, the psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. I earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The King James Version reads, Early will I Seek thee. Seeking God, following God, is the most basic and fundamental activity of a believer. The question is, how do I do that? If I'm supposed to follow God, how do I do that? How do I follow Him? How do I seek Him? As I was preparing this week, I, I, man, I started writing down. I, I, it was easy, just writing down. Okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And I'm writing down, and it's good stuff. I mean, it'll preach. It's good stuff. And then I started, I started really getting into my preparation, and I started really, really getting into the development of my message, and I, I realized, okay, I got to take that one out. I kept going in, and I got to take that one out. And I kept going into the preparation, got to take that one out. And, and, and you ask the worship team, they, they love it. You know, I always tell them how many points are in my message. And, and, and they know that when we're in Bible college, we're, you know, basically you're taught, you know, three points in your message. And some days I'll tell them I've got six points. And, and they laugh about that. And today I said, I got two points. I got two points. They're like, hey, this isn't a real sermon. You know, they're like, does that mean it's only going to take 20 minutes? No, it's not only going to take 20 minutes. But I got two points, and I want to share the two most basic things. I, I literally, I want to boil it down. I want to make it simple so that every single person in this place today, when you walk out, you will know how I can follow God. How can I do it? How can I follow Him? So here it is. Are you ready? Number one, you've got to consume 
the word of God. Consume God's word. That's, that's it. The word consume has numerous meanings. When a fire burns the forest, it destroys it. That means consume. When our time is being wasted by being on hold with charter, It's being squandered. <laughs> My wife is never more upset than when I walk in the door and she says, I've been on hold with Charter for a half an hour. I haven't talked to a human yet. That's consumed. How about when you binge watch eight seasons of Game of Thrones in one weekend? You've been consumed. You've been engrossed. When we eat the entire bag of cheese puffs in one sitting. We've indulged. We've, we've consumed. When we purchase a resource or product and we intend to use it, we become what? Consumers. When we consistently engage in an activity that we thoroughly enjoy and we just devour it up. We're consumed. In order for us to seek God, to follow hard after Him, we need to actively ingest, take in, consume God's Word. God's Word, that literally, that word in the Greek is logos, and it means the written version of the spoken Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 We've read, we've read this so, so many times. And, and I, when I, sometimes when I'm preparing a message, I say to myself, they have got to be so tired of me saying this. Okay? But I'm going to read it for you again. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive. It's a living thing. It's applicable for the here and now. It is relevant to today. You may read it and watch the news and think there's no way. But I'm telling you, it is totally relevant for today. It's active. It's, it's effective. It's productive. It accomplishes something in our lives. Some of you may go to the gym. And when you go to the gym, if you go to a place that I, I think it's smart to do this, but they'll, they'll have you do stretches first. And when you first start at a gym and you do stretches, you're like, when do we get to the good stuff, right? Are you with me, right? And so you're, like, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, you, you, when you do stretching, all right, and, and they teach you different stretches, okay? Do you know what those things are called? They're called dynamic movements, Stretches are dynamic movements, and those stretches do something physiological, metabolical in your body, preparing you for what's coming up next in the workout. 
They are absolutely necessary, and you think, I'm not doing anything. I'm on my knees. My arms are stretched out on the floor. I feel like I'm, I'm literally doing absolutely nothing. It's preparing you for what you're going to be doing. It is dynamic movement, okay? We need to understand that the word of God, you say, I read it and nothing happens. God's word is, it is dynamic. It creates an effect in our lives. And literally, it is, it's not merely external, but it impacts every area of our lives, our spiritual life, our emotional life, and our physical life. It's being able to discern It's able to discern our deepest and darkest motivations. His word literally gets to the core of our very being. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said in his prayer, he refers to God's word as truth, and he said, your word is truth. We come in contact with the truth when we open his word, when we begin to ingest it. The most basic and foundational aspect of following and seeking God is consuming His Word. Now, let's get right down to the truth in America, okay? George Barna, president of Barna Research, he said, Increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Now, he's talking about the whole country as a whole. He says that, In those that he has interviewed, less than 50% of American adults can name the four Gospels. 60% of Americans can't name even five out of the ten commandments. According to his research, 82% believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. He says that the majority of adults in America believe that taking care of your family is the Bible's greatest lesson. 12% of adults that he interviewed believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Let Let it sink in. Noah built an ark. She was Joan of our, oh, hey! It's, it's just deductive reasoning. Is that what they're teaching in the university these days? I, I, I don't know. A survey was done of graduating high school seniors. 50% of them believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number surveyed believe that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. George Gallup, who's a researcher, he does surveys along with Jim Castelli. They put the problem very squarely, and here's what they said. Americans revere the Bible. And I believe that that is still true. Many Americans revere the Bible. But by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Friends, that is a sad fact. And it is not just about sea to shining sea. It also is true 
about the church in large part. And I don't think you can convince me otherwise. That we have become a church in America that is biblically illiterate. In writing to Jewish believers, the unknown author of Hebrews hits this subject very hard. And here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 5. He's warning the Christians, the believers, about falling away from Jesus. And here's what he said. We have much to say about this. But it's hard to make it clear to you. Because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, some need, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's look at that for just a moment and unpack it a little bit. He said you're no longer trying to understand. If I was putting that in the terms of the American church, okay? The church that believes in God's word from the east coast to the west coast, from the northern border to the southern border, here's what I would have to say. They might listen on Sunday, but they're not retaining. They're not retaining what they've heard. They've heard this enough in reality that they should actually be teaching, Paul said. You, you've, you've been taught it. You've been told it over and over again. You actually should be teachers yourselves. But you need to be taught the basic truths of God's word repeatedly over and over again because you don't have it. That is what I would say It really relates to the American church. Because of a refusal to understand, to grasp, to comprehend, to dig in, to ingest God's word. They're still going to church. Although, friends, let's be honest. Those, that little group of young people that walked out this door to go to merge this morning. What we are being told is that their generation, we've lost their generation that it will be the first godless generation in America. That we have lost them as a whole. We need to, we need to pursue, we need to dig into God's word. He makes a comparison between milk and solid food. And, and this, is, this is a farming illustration, okay? This is a farming illustration. Humans are the only, the only species that drink milk throughout their entire life. Did you know that? All the rest of the, of, of the animal species that, that drink milk, they, they stop after a very short period of time in their development. They move on to other things. And what he is saying here is that, that there are those in the church that are refusing to move on 
to the things that are not basic. They refuse to move on to solid food. They are, they're, they're, not, they're not getting the benefit out of the milk of God's word and, and the simple things of the truth of the gospel and being able to move on to the things that are more weighty and more substantial. Because they refuse to understand. He's saying literally they have dull hearing. And as a result, they become spiritually stupid. Is what he is inferring here. Hebrews chapter 1 or 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Let's not have to be taught them over and over again because we don't retain it. Because we don't know it. Let's move on beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. I remember as a child, every night I would go to bed and before I would drift off to sleep, I would say, God, forgive me of all my sins. Almost as if I had never prayed it before and I had prayed it the night before. Why? As a child, I was struggling to move on from that basic element of forgiveness and understanding what repentance really was. He's saying, let's move forward. Let's grow out of infancy into maturity. If we will train ourselves, if we will constantly be in the Word of God, we will be able to feed ourselves. Now that doesn't mean that we say, hey, I don't need to go to church, man. I've been feeding myself spiritually all week. In fact, I guarantee you, if you're feeding yourself all week, you you can't wait to get to church. You can't wait to get to church because you're going to fellowship with other people. You want to minister. You want to give out what God has been blessing you with all week long. You want to share that with other people. But let's be about that. Number two, practice prayer. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther. He said, I have so much to do today that I fear that if I do not pray, and he he puts a timetable on it, he says two hours. If I do not pray at least two hours, the devil will get the best of me throughout the entire day. He changed his world. He changed the world. And you and I feel the results of that every day because of the impact that he made. This is basically the exact opposite of our American culture because our American culture says, I don't have enough time. That's what it says. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to spend time in prayer. Pastor, if you only knew what my life was really like, you would know that I don't have prayer. You know what? You don't have to convince me. I'm not the one who's, who's making the call here, folks. I'm not the one that wrote it. I'm not the one that you're trying to go to heaven and spend eternity with. It's him. Listen, recently... My, pri- my, my prayer life has increased dramatically. Isaac has his permit. <laughs> I love you, Isaac. 
if all of a sudden all of my slides get messed up on the screen, you're going to know he's just paying me back. <laughs> According to Barna, 79% of adults say they engage in prayer at least once in the last three months. Older folks tend to pray more than younger. Women tend to pray more than men on average. Even our, how much we make financially, there's a difference in how much people generally pray. Way more people pray silently than do audibly. They pray about Thanksgiving and family and guidance for personal crisis. They pray about their health and their wellness. They confess. They pray about forgiveness. They pray about safety and peace and their meal and global problems and justice. They, they, a, big, a big popular one with young women, sleep. Once they start having kids, dear Jesus, just let me get some sleep. It's true. It's, re- it's, it's reality, okay? 89% of those surveyed say they direct their prayers to God. The problem is the survey doesn't even know how they identify God, what, who they identify God to be. We don't even know that. But prayer is much more difficult to quantify as compared to reading your Bible. But let me just, let me just share a couple things here, and I'm not going to go in depth on them, but some things that the Word tells us. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to pray continually. He told the Ephesians to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. James says that we should pray when we're in trouble or when we're sick. Paul, in Romans 12, 12, he instructs us to be faithful, persistent, constant in prayer. In Philippians 4, 6, he encourages the church that rather than to respond with anxiety, the believer should pray about every situation that he faces and that he should thank God as he prays. In presenting teaching on prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you pray, he expects us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, just before giving them the Lord's Prayer. Here's what Jesus says. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the kind of prayer that is setting aside time to get alone with God. This morning as I was going over my notes, I said, that reminds me of a movie called War Room. You remember that movie? She had a little closet, and she had sticky notes with all her prayer needs there. And that's where she would go, and she would get alone with God, and she would begin to intercede for her family, for her friends. She would spend time with God. My mom was simple when she came into faith. You heard my dad say last week she knew nothing about God when when they got married. Nothing. In her family, education and, and, and making money were God. She knew nothing about the Lord. My grandma, my grandma Irene taught her about the Lord. And when she read this verse, she took it very literally. Now, my parents didn't have a walk-in closet, okay? I'd never heard of a walk-in closet back then. My mom used to crawl in her closet to pray. She was just trying to take the word of God at its face value. He said, go into my closet and pray. I'm going to cram myself in my closet and try to shut the door. Of course, she had three boys. That might have had something to do with it. (laughs) He was just looking for some some peace and quiet with the Lord. We running around the house wondering where she was. C. 
C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. And friends, we need to get changed. And it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen when we begin to ingest the Word of God and when we begin to pray. That's when it's going to happen in our lives. So the basics, the foundational, essential things for our development, biblical illiteracy and prayerlessness stand in the way of mastering those basics. There's a couple of different ways that people can be responding this morning. As I already mentioned, somebody's saying, probably saying, you, you don't understand my life. You don't know what I'm up against. You don't know what my house is like. You're right, I don't. And I don't pretend to. And, and quite frankly, it's not my responsibility to do that. That's your house. I'm just trying to take care of mine. Okay? I got one too. I do. I don't have enough time. Your other response might be the Holy Spirit's reading my mail. Okay? Taylor's not reading my mail. Okay? I'm not that good. The Holy Spirit, though, he may be reading your mail. And you may feel, you may feel a little twinge in your heart this morning. I'm going to tell you what that's called. That's called conviction. And that is the Holy Spirit and his finger tapping on your heart. And he's saying, we're talking about you. That's what we're, now, now we're getting to something here. So how do we respond? Once I heard the definition of discipleship as a fight for time in a person's life. The question is, who's going to win that fight? That's an old, like, Eskimo proverb or something about two dogs fighting. Which one's going to win? The one I feed the most. Who's going to win that fight for time in your life? I'll tell you who. The dog that you feed the most. Are you going to feed the dog of prayerlessness with the excuse that I don't have time? Are you going to feed the dog of biblical illiteracy? Because well, I go to church. I hear that guy talk for over 30 minutes every week. I don't think I need any more than that. Or are you going to feed just a hunger for God's word in your life? Are you going to ingest it? Are you going to devour it? Are you going to consume it and begin to cut out time in your busy life to spend time with God and to say God it's just you and me there's no screaming kids right now you might have to get up in the middle of the night to do it I don't know what your life is like but find that time you might have to give up Facebook for 15 or 20 minutes a day you might have to give up some other things but you can do it and I believe that when we do, that God is going to, first of all, change us, and then he's going to change our families, and then he's going to change our neighborhoods, and he's going to change our community, and he, I'm finding this out, he's going to change the world. Amen?